I kill people and I eat their hands. That's two things. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of... Hi. Hi. The Pie Factory Podcast. Episode 97. 97 for those keeping score. Yeah. And once again, this is your old friend, Jimmy G. And twice again, this is Sean. How you doing, Sean? This is Sean. How you doing, Sean? Uh, Oh, man. I I don't know if I should answer that. Uh Uh-oh. Because if I do, I'm going to be talking for too long. Well, we got a lot to get to tonight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like we do every time oh, we yeah. uh, record. Sometimes uh, it's relevant. Long story short, my doctor told me to stay off the bike for a little bit. and oh. uh, Basically because I think I pulled something in my leg. and it, it doesn't hurt, but it yeah. f- makes my leg feel kind of weary. Yeah. And, of co- and the thing is, a friend of mine just died. After finding out Ooh. he had testicular cancer. So anything that happens below my belly button now, it's like, oh, shit, do I have testicular cancer? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's a combination of stretching my legs a little bit too much, probably stemming from a 50-mile bike ride I did recently, which I'm not used to, by the way, and my overreaction toward anything that happens below my belly button now. So, yeah, I'm doing kind of weirdly. And I'm kind of ticked off because I can't ride my bike for a week. Ouch. I rode my bike yesterday, but I asked my doctor. I said, hey, number one, should I come in and get this checked out? And number two, do you re- should I like issue riding the bike? And she said, if it doesn't improve in a week, come on in. And mm-hmm. yeah, stay off the bike. Mm-hmm. So, yay. <sighs> well, I've been okay. Good. Good. I can hardly get out on my bicycle because it's been not the last week so much, but it's been raining. And on the few days it doesn't rain, I have to mow my yard and mow my um, my mom's yard. So it's rare when I can get out on my bicycle these days. I'm well behind on where I want to be as far as miles on my bicycle before bike MS. Yeah. So I've decided I'm going to just take it easy this year and do 35 miles each day instead of 50 and 75 like I usually do. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am with that. But uh, uh, I have been uh, playing a game lately. It's more than what I've been doing. And uh, I've been playing uh, Baby Pac-Man on the 7800. Oh, do tell. And uh, if you have an Atari 7800, the uh, the first set of these are all sold out. Uh, but uh, it will be in the Atari Age store before too long. It's uh, with a complete package i don't need the complete package but um thanks to uh bob de crescenzo for that it is amazing and it is uh extremely difficult just like the arcade game yeah. you can play the full game which means you go into you start in the maze and you can go into the pinball to earn the bonus fruits the power pills and uh speed up in the tunnel <laughs> and the speed up in the tunnel uh you can go hella fast in the yeah, tunnel. Oh, yeah. But yeah, um, Or you can play just the maze with all of the uh, the power pills and the uh, the fruit. Or you can play just the pinball portion. So you can uh, get some uh, practice in on that. So that's always uh, that's always a fun time. I want to play just the Paxcalator. I don't know how you do that. I don't know either. Sometimes I see it, sometimes I don't. Yeah, I've, I've seen it a few times, but not much. That, the one thing that's, uh, one thing that's kind of... Um, 
affected how I played is I tried, uh, as you know, I've been experimenting with that 8-bit do, do, whatever, controllers and the Bluetooth Genesis dongle. Dongle. For some reason, on the 7800, the left and the right buttons are swapped. And so the left button on the 8-bit do controller does the right flipper, and the right button does the left flipper. So uh, a normal controller works fine. So it's something with the way that the, uh, the Genesis dongle is uh, wired up, I guess. I don't know. So I'm going to see if there's a way I can uh, rewire one of those uh, Ed Ladin 7800 Seagull 78 adapters yeah. to flip the things just to uh, to correct that. So You can get instructions on making a 7800 to Sega Genesis adapter. If you feel brave enough following those, just flip-flop the uh, order for the fire buttons, I guess. Good. I haven't opened one yet, one of the, one of the adapters yet. I'm kind of scared to, but uh, I'm sure it's probably... Pretty straightforward for someone that knows what they're doing, which would not be me. Sure. But I'm surprised yeah. I haven't cracked one of those open yet, actually. Because I, I usually like tear, tear controllers apart for the most part to uh, to see what's uh, going on on the inside and making them tick. I haven't done that with my any of my 8-Bit-Do controllers, but every other controller I've owned, I've done that with. Uh, uh, oh, I haven't done that with my ColecoVision Super Action controller, which is a great controller, I might add. But um, I so still that- haven't connected any of my consoles or computers yet for no since yeah i'm still yeah i my i'm getting tired of not playing video games yeah. i really am it's just getting on my nerves i gotta play something but what am i gonna do what am i gonna do what are you gonna do i don't hopefully make my way to an arcade soon and i feel terrible because the only times i've ever been to pixel blast was mm-hmm. grand opening and anniversary Mm-hmm. And it yeah. seems like I'm going to continue that trend because so far I might be attending their anniversary. Wait, when again. is their third I, anniversary? Um, it's this year. Is wait, is it their third? It can't be their third already. Yeah, it is. Are you June sure? June 29th, 1 p.m. Huh. Yeah, so that's just right around the corner. Huh. That's in uh, Lyle, Illinois. Lyle. Lyle, Illinois. I used to know a guy. Um, Girl four. The, the guy who owned the, uh, who ran the NIAD users group. That's the Northern Ileana Adam users group. He lived in Lyle, and his name was Lyle. So that was always fun. That's got to be fun. Oh, yeah. There's no way it can't be. But uh, you know what? There's some really, really big news um, that's come really? through lately. and um, Do tell. Well, people should know that uh, our goal in life is to make oh, yes. uh, Tinkle Pit a household name. Yes. And um, we might be getting closer to that goal than we th- we previously thought. That's right. Because, can we get a little fanfare here? All right. Thanks, Hyde. That, that was a very little fanfare. But um, thanks nonetheless. Um Galloping Ghost Arcade in Brookfield, Illinois, has Tinkle Pit on the floor. And I think it's an original cabinet. The video game. The video game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you you can't make a Tinkle Pit on the floor. Uh, I'm sure they'd kick you out for that. Uh, Unless you're going for a marathon, then they might understand. But, um, yes, they have a Tinkle Pit arcade game on the floor. And according to Doc Mack, they've actually had the board for the game for quite some time but yeah. it was just not working and they couldn't get it working but they finally ran into a second one yep. and uh, they got it working and they have Tinkle Pit yeah I don't think it's an original cabinet though the board is original the cabinet I mean thing it, is, might not, I it, it, it very well might not be but we really don't know because nobody I've never found a Tinkle Pit um, yeah. a, ca- a picture of a Tinkle Pit cabinet anywhere yeah I have a so feeling looks like. if you 
if you do like a Google image search for like Japanese arcade 1990s, mm-hmm. arcade cabinets looked a lot different from what we're used to back yeah, in the that's 90s. That's true. I have seen that because they kind of fit in with the, uh, if I'm if I'm thinking about this correctly, they kind of fit in with the whole uh, pachinko aesthetic, if you yeah, will. Yeah, kind of, kind of, sort of. And I know this, I know that the marquee is not an original. That's no. a, that's a yeah, repro. Done, yeah. Uh, yeah, done at the uh, Galloping Ghost Reproduction Shop, which is yep. another one of their businesses. Yep. So, yes, we are well on our way now. It's making Tinkle yeah. Pit a household name. Doc Mack yeah. took up the challenge. And James White's world record has been overtaken by Jamie Tibbetts. And I got a feeling it's just going to go back and forth between those two. <sighs> I've long given up hope on getting uh, a world record on any video game ever. Uh, but uh, to, uh, to quote a Dilbert comic strip, if success is impossible then I'm free. So I can actually go. go back to enjoying the games. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought uh, I lost you there for a second. I expected you to comment no, right I, away. I just have nothing to say in response. Oh, yeah. Nothing to say in response. So, yeah. So Tinkle Pit. Yay. Now we just, they Tinkle just got to get him uh, Uncle Pooh. Yep. And then our lives will be complete. That's right. Which That's I, right. I wonder if there really is. I mean, there's got to be an Uncle Pooh board somewhere. Well, yeah. I mean, there... um, unless it's a, unless Uncle Pooh is a total software hack, which never saw a board. That is possible. Now, there is a picture of a Uncle Pooh board. Oh, really? Actually, I'm looking at it right now. No kidding. Oh. No kidding at all. Yeah. And All they need is an Uncle yeah. Pooh machine, and we could die happy. Exactly. Exactly. Although I really uh, kind of want him to get an iRobot. There's only like a handful of those around. I really hope yeah. that rumor of them dumping hundreds of those machines in the Pacific was uh, was just a rumor. I have a feeling it is just a rumor. Because if it was yeah, found what? out, there'd be a lot of hell to pay, to pay even today. Yeah, yeah. And everybody we talked to who works at an arcade, we said, what are the chances you're going to have uh, iRobot? They laugh. They actually laugh. Yeah. So, Tinkle Pit. Yes. Tinkle Pit. Yeah. Yes. So, do we have any other news? <sighs> Adenda, Arada, I, anything like that? I personally don't have any news, any Adenda, any Arata. I got nothing. I got nothing. Uh, I do want to say one thing that uh, I don't know if this will be out by the time uh, Bike MS rolls around, but um, link in the show notes. Link in the show notes. But if you want to donate to my ride, feel free. Um, I can accept. Actually, even though the ride's in June, I can accept donations all the way up until August. So I still got time. Piefactorypodcast.com slash Bike MS. There you go. So thank you much. I should actually start using that. Uh, that's easier. It than... looks like you raised three hundred forty-one dollars and nine cents. And nine cents. Yeah, yeah I set my goal at a thousand, but because I almost got it last year, but not uh, quite this year. It's in less than two weeks. It's ten. Hmm. Wait a minute. Ten days. It's ten days. Ten days away. By the time at the time we're recording this. So. Alrighty. So we know we done the Nothing, huh? No. We've no, been perfect. I, I, get, I, I guess so. I guess so. No addenda, no errata, but I, there is something I do want to resurrect uh, this one time. And, uh, let's see. That would be fanfare. Ah, Sean's drinking arena. Sean's drinking arena. Woohoo. Normally this isn't the kind of thing I would use on Sean's drinking arena because usually I would go for the ones that just, the, the drinks that just would not be normally drinkable. You know, it's like, why would you drink bacon? Why would you Ooh. drink mustard? Ooh. But this time, this is not a Lester's Fixins. Um, this is, uh, see, is this a Rocket Fizz drink? Yeah, it is a Rocket Fizz. 
uh, who should sponsor us, by the way. Uh, this is called the Original Chocolate Chip Cookie Duff Bites, so, uh, Cookie Dough Bites Soda. Pardon me. It smells like cream soda. Mm-hmm. It tastes like cream soda. So, there you go. The Original Chocolate Chip Cookie Dough Bites Soda. It's, it's cream soda. So, it doesn't taste bad it just doesn't taste like what you were expecting yeah it and there's a certain aftertaste to it that's in pretty much all the lester's fixins drinks too oh speaking of rocket fizz by the way uh bike ms is in st charles illinois and there is a rocket or there is a rocket fizz in downtown st charles so if you need something let me know hmm. oh about uh seventeen thousand dollars so go there pick that up for me and there you go what was that line from National Lampoon's Vacation where Chevy Chase was in uh, Cousin Eddie's living room? Why don't you just ask him for the money? Sure as hell can't take a hint. Yeah, when, when they closed the asbestos factory, yeah. Got anything uh, you can spare? <laughs> oh, sure, Eddie. How much? About $22,000. 52000 oh, was it $52,000? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was less than that. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies. I don't even own it on DVD. I got to correct that. Yeah. Uh. Hot Shots oh Part D, me and the other one. So, I guess, so, um, wow, we really cut it short with the jibber-jabber tonight, didn't we? I got nothing to say, and I'm kind of in a crappy mood, so that's yeah, kind of I'm, I'm going to funk, too. Why don't we do <sighs> this? Why don't we get going here? Should I bring Mr. Rabbit into the show? Because he's such a talker. Nah. Nah. You know what? You can rest tonight, Mr. Rabbit. All right. He's cool with that. So, uh, I think we probably should talk about some games, don't you think? Okay, all right. So, uh, which one? I can't play them, so I might as well talk about them instead of playing them. Oh, you really are cranky. Does, does someone, I, does someone I have the video games a lot. The last time I played, aside from... <clears throat> Whoa! Aside excuse from, me. Wow, that's something you played. Oh, I you just played drank well. some soda. What do you expect? You played that well, I, I must say. Anyway, yeah. aside from playing the games that we're preparing for the episodes, I haven't done any video gaming since Mother's Day. I haven't done much either. And by the time this gets out, it might actually be after Father's Day, so... And you know what's sad? Is I actually um, uh, recently bought a bunch of uh, old uh, old games that were on sale on uh, GOG.com. Uh, let me think, what did I purchase? I know one of them was Phantasmagoria. And I was playing through that, and um, yeah. oh, Right N, uh, the arcade game Right N was one of them. They had the Right N collection with like five, six games in there. And uh, I played them a little bit, but then it's like after a few days, I just stopped playing them. I don't know why. And I love Right N, the arcade game. That's a great one, which is on the list to talk about at some point, but I don't, it's not been paired up with something yet. So, 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 so yeah, Anywho. I've not been playing a whole lot either. We've already gone over this, but you know, let's. Called padding, but uh, so which one do we want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about yours? Do you want to talk about the game I was tasked with? Let's talk about your task. My task. Okay. Your task. All righty then. Um, the game that I chose to talk about this week was Star Castle. Huzzah! Huzzah! Aha! Aha! See, I can't think. I cannot remember which one it is. It's been so long since we've recorded. By the way, uh, apologies for the hiatus. It's just life gets in the way in the summer. So, um, and in the winter and in the spring. Yeah. Well, you know. So, Star Castle. It is a black and white vector game, 1980 from Cinematronics. Um, Oh, wait a minute. There's some color in the game. Maybe we should talk about that later. Hmm. 
the object of the game is you got a spaceship in the middle of the playfield, which is surrounded by three rotating rings, clockwise, counterclockwise, clockwise. And then uh, what you got to do is to shoot the walls that make the rings, and each section takes two hits, then shoot the spaceship in the middle. Easy peasy lemon squeezy, huh? Well, there's a problem there. First of all, there are little sparks that grow on the rings, and they will track your ship down and kill you. And when you get when you get a opening, the spaceship in the middle will fire at you, and you got to you got to fire, turn your ship, and get out of the way fast to destroy them. So that's always a, a fun challenge. But um, as far as controlling the game, you control your spaceship or your fighter or whatever it's the player. You you control the player's spaceship. With the left and right rotate buttons, and you also got a fire and a thrust button, kind of like uh, asteroids without the hyperspace. Uh, there are some bootleg Star Castle machines out there that uh, have shipped with a joystick, although I've never seen one of those. Here's one of the problems with shooting the sections of the ring. When all of the sections of a ring are destroyed, the ring that was behind it moves out, and a new ring springs up in the middle by the enemy ship. And so you have to get that one, uh, get a hole in there too. So it's, uh, at the very minimum, leave one wall in each of the three rings so that, uh, you know, you don't yeah. get a new wall growing. I guess you could use that for point pressing, but it's not a whole mm-hmm. lot of points, relatively speaking. But uh, player dies either by being hit by any of the sparks that come off the walls or by the enemy spaceship's uh, shot. I was playing this earlier, and I did uh, try bouncing into the wall of the spaceship or of the enemy ship and you would do not die by touching the walls i thought you did but you don't so um yeah that going for you for those of you with the pie factory bingo card you can mark that spot off let's talk about scoring shall we let's yes let's yes uh the outer ring uh 10 points per wall sec per section middle ring is 20 points per section and the inner ring is 30 if you destroy all three of the walls that are present would be 720 possible points if you could destroy them all without having a new ring come out. Just a little bit of trivia there. And when you destroy the laser cannon, you get points for the rings remaining, plus points for destroying the cannon, plus an extra man as a bonus for destroying the cannon. Well, they call it a cannon. Uh, So, yeah, you get an extra life if you destroy the enemy spaceship. And then the sparks are worth no points. The enemy spaceship, that's actually called a star castle, right? I think the castle is in reference to the walls around it hmm. because a castle, you know, has walls and it protects the king or something like that. So I think that's where they get it from. I don't think that thing in the middle is, um, well, let's put it this way. A castle protects a cannon in medieval times. Hmm. In this one, the walls protect the cast cannon. So it's a star castle. And I'm sticking with that. Okay. So there's some interesting trivia behind this game. A couple of pieces. Uh, and actually, a third piece of trivia I never knew. These other two I knew. But the constellation in the background was based on the outline of a centerfold from a 1980 issue of We Magazine, OUI. <laughs> Management at Cinematronics almost stopped production of the game after about 5,000 units had shipped. But uh, after there was some internal debate, they decided to not halt the production of the game. And so the game shipped 14,000 units total, or about 14,000 uh-huh. in the neighborhood. Supposedly, the game was inspired by an early version of a never-released game called Oops, in which a player controlled a sperm trying to fertilize an egg. Hmm. Yeah, I never knew that one, and probably for good reason. But I think the one bit of trivia, and I think pretty much everybody knows this one, the Atari 2600 game Star or uh, Yar's Revenge is actually kind of a port of Star Castle. 
programmer extraordinaire Howard Scott Warshaw, who uh, is credited as designing the best and worst game on the 2600 console. But uh, it's best you can make the argument. Worst? Absolutely no way. Hell no. Uh, E.T. is far from the worst game on the 2600. In fact, I find it with one or two, if it, if it, weren't, if it needed, if, it, if he had like one more week uh, to program the game to uh, iron out a few bugs, it would have been a really good title. I don't think it's bad the way it is, but under uh, under the constraints, he uh, turned out a pretty good game, I think. But that's oh, just yeah. me. It's, but anyway, the, it's a classic. It is. I like it. You know, it gets really hard on some of the higher difficulty levels, but the lower ones, it's uh, fully playable if you know how to get out of the pits. That's about basically about it. But anyway, uh, Yar's Revenge started out as Star Castle, but uh, Howard Scott Warshaw it was like, there's no way this could be done on the 2600. And at the yeah. time it was programmed, he was absolutely right. So what happened was he took the elements from the game, rearranged them a bit, made them work with the 2600's capabilities, and called the game Yar's Revenge. Now, why Yar? Well, at the time, the head of Atari... I know the answer. The head of Atari was Ray Kasser, and uh, Yar is Ray backwards. And he thought the game would have a better chance of being released if uh, he put a little nod in there to his boss. And it worked. And it was one of the widely regarded as one of, if not the best title for the, uh, well, of the Atari titles for the 2600. I don't know about it if it's the best, but you can make that argument. So um, it's a fun game, too. I, you know what? I would really like to see Yar's Revenge actually as an arcade game. I don't think uh, you could go wrong with that. But but as I was saying, with uh, Yar's Revenge, they had he took the elements and put them in a format that this 2600 could work with. If you had never seen Star Castle and played Yar's Revenge, you'd think it's a great game. But if you played Yar's Revenge and then played Star Castle for the first time, you would see the comparison. Oh, yeah. Because the the co-tile, which is the main enemy, is hiding behind a wall. And in one of the levels, the wall has bricks that move. And then you have um, a little dash that's supposed to be a missile that follows you around, which emulates the sparks in Star Castle. Once you're fully familiar with Star Castle, you can see the similarities. And... uh, I, I really think that if they did name it Star Castle, there wouldn't have been as much outcry about that as there was with uh, with Pac-Man, because Pac-Man took a lot of liberties. It was still obviously Pac-Man, though. Yeah. Um, Yara's Revenge is not obviously Star Castle. Right. But if you called it Star Castle, I don't think people would complain about it, because all the elements are there. They're just shoehorned in in a way that would work with the 2600. Yeah. But uh, speaking of which, let's get into some ports, shall we? Oh, we shall. Yeah. Uh, the only official console it was ported to was the GCE Vectrex in 1983, and it was ported to that for good reason, because of the vector screen. Yes, uh, and they were, there was that Cinematronics uh, That's true. Thing. They had a huge tie-in with Cinematronics. Um, in fact, one of their games, which one was it? Cosmic Chasm, I think, was uh, actually ported to the arcade from the Vectrex, I believe. Yeah. Oh, don't they have that at Galloping Ghost? I believe they do. I have, to, I have to play that next time I'm there. I've, it's been so long yeah, since I've been yeah. in arcade. It's not fun. I only just re- I think it was just uh, during the uh, last Extra Life Marathon when I finally played Cosmic Chasm. And that's uh-huh. a really good game, and I haven't played it since. It is a since. fun game. It's kind of like Reactor, but you also have to, yeah. have to follow paths. There's a little more strategy to it than Reactor. It is a really yeah. fun game. There are several modern-day ports of um, Star Castle to the Atari 2600. Several? I thought there, there was one that a guy uh, made, and he released it on cartridge, but he only made one cartridge and never released the ROM, huh. and he was selling it on eBay for like 
thousands of dollars or something. But then there was another one that was more widely made available. And I believe that one is in the Atari Age store. Let me just take a quick look-see here. And it's also in my collection as well. Oh! That one, the packaging on that was just insane, because it came not only with a box and the manual and everything, but it also had a little cardboard replica Star Castle arcade cabinet you fold together. Uh-huh. They really need to do that. <laughs> I'm not complaining, but it's <laughs> a little over the top, don't you think? I mean, I... It was one of those things where you just keep taking things out of the box and you're thinking, whoa. Oh, yeah. Okay, it's called Star Castle Arcade. I thought they gave it a different title, but no, it is Star Castle Arcade. And uh, you can purchase it for $30 at the Atari Age store. So uh, there you go. Let's, let's, so there. Let me see. Uh, and this is interesting. And there's, only one, there's only like two really halfway, only two mediocre reviews for it. But... Um, the one was about the uh, the controls, and then the other one was basically about the difficulty. And let's not kid ourselves. Star Castle, arca- the arcade game Star Castle, is a very difficult game. It is oh, yeah. insanely hard because the uh, the sparks use a rudimentary form of AI to to track your ship down, and then the cannon in the middle is always facing toward your ship, always. So the second that you open up a hold, you got to get out of there and uh, try to get a shot in at some other point. I usually try to just wrap around the other side of the screen. Yeah, that's actually not a bad idea. I just thought of a strategy for that for me. So, but uh, at least one thing you got working around, working for you in this game is just like asteroids, if you go off one side of the screen, you will reappear on the other. There was a couple of other things about ports I forgot to mention. This was actually, there were actually, Tiger Electronics actually made a couple of, uh, couple of handheld ports for this. There was an LCD really? handheld game in 1982, and then there was an uh, LCD tabletop game sometime in the 80s, which this does not say here. Uh, and they had, one has a colored LCD and a backlight, which is accessible by a little cover on the back. So um, that is Star Castle in a uh, shell of nut. Whoa, that didn't sound a good. shell of nut. Uh, in a, uh, a shell that you would find on the sea. There we go. That's a better one. A conch huh. shell. So that's conch Star shell. Castle in a conch shell. So uh, shall we talk about... Uh, but let's do some high. Let's do high scores on Star Castle first. What high scores. Yes. Huh. High scores. Well, let's see. Uh, Orcade.com. A U R C A D E dot com. One thing that we got to remember: there were two different versions of Star Castle out there. There was the easy chip, and there was the hard chip. Yes. Uh, and what was the differences between the two again? One was easy, and the other was hard. In what way? I don't know. Aside from game difficulty, there's a giveaway that'll let you know whether you are playing the easy or hard chip. You know you have the easy chip if you only see your score. You have to lose a life to see how many more ships you have. Ah, yes. Which is common with uh, Cinematronics games. Yes. Uh, I think Ripoff is like that. Well, Ripoff isn't really based on lies, but you, you don't really see your score at all. It's an until, arm, armor attack's the same way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, armor attack. Oh, I can't. I want to talk about that game. I love armor attack. Uh, I don't think that is on the spreadsheet. Put it on the spreadsheet. Put it on the spreadsheet. And uh, the hard chip after each time you destroy the castle, which for me is once if I'm lucky, you will see both your score and how many ships you have left. Ah. So that's that's how you can tell really quickly which version you're playing. Mm-hmm. But having said all that, the easy chip, March 28th, 2016, the record score on Orcade.com is 30,000. 
260, performed at the Galloping Ghost Arcade by... Jamie Tibbetts. No. Jim White. Jim White. Gee, how did I guess? James White, yeah. And the hard chip, the record on Orcade.com is John McAllister. There's a name we've heard before. Yep, yeah, he's got a lot of these. And uh, he got this one at Fun Spot during Fun Spot 12 on June 4th, 2010. Wow. Nine years and one week to the day that we are recording this. Oh, wow. And his score is 28,730 points. And if we look at the Twin Galaxies scoreboard, we got John McAllister popping up for both of those ROMs. And uh, the hardship, he got 29,800 verified October 7th, 2017 via the Twin Galaxies scoring and adjudication process. And his easy chip record was verified on February 17th, 2018 by the same process. And that score, 10,001,110. That's quite a huge jump from uh, from James White's 30,000 on that same uh, that setting. That sounds kind of sus, but that was adjudicated though, right? It was adjudicated, yeah. It was voted as legit by hmm. other Twin Galaxies users. And if you look at the Twin Galaxies scoreboard, the other scores on that same track are right around that same neighborhood. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. Come that on, James like White, a, up your game. It would seem up to me game. like that would take like a really long time to reach that score on that game. Yeah, yeah. That's really not would. a high-scoring game at all. Oh, unless, man. I, unless, unless bonuses increase exponentially. Which could be. Which could, could be, be, because I didn't find any information about uh, about exponential bonuses. And to well, be fair... I'm curious... Since uh, his uh, score was adjudicated online, that means the video should still be up there. Mm-hmm. And I want to see how long that video is. I'm looking right now. Uh, Star Castle. Here we go. I just found some news, that uh, video gaming news, that some people might find interesting just cropped up Ooh. here just now. Uh, as people know that the E3 convention, which is the big video game convention, is going on currently. And apparently... Konami is going to release a TurboGrafx-16 Mini in the United States, another plug-and-play oh. console. Okay, well, I found John McAllister's... Uh, holy crap. Wow. Holy cow. Holy cow. Oh, my God. Hmm. John McAllister's Twin Galaxies submission consists of five videos. Okay. It took five videos to fit. The timing on these are about nine minutes, 11 seconds, or nine hours, 11 minutes, nine hours, 26 minutes, seven and a half hours, seven and a quarter hours, and another three hours. So, damn. So, yeah, this was a long ass game. Almost makes me wonder if maybe not only the um, bonuses increase exponentially, but if maybe there's also a leveling off in the difficulty of the game, which makes it more doable. Well, not yeah. for me, obviously, but... <laughs> or me. Yeah. Because first you have to get to that leveling off point. Oh, of course. But crimity cripples. Good norf. Wow. Um, and hey, while I'm talking about Star Castle, there is uh, something that I found kind of interesting is that uh, when I was looking for videos, for gameplay videos in Star Castle, I stumbled on someone who created a version of Star Castle for both iPhone and Android. Uh-huh. And if you click on the iPhone link, there's nothing there, which tells me the Apple police took it down. Mm -hmm. um, actually, let me see if the same thing happened with uh, his... Starcastle Reloaded for Android. Yeah, that's it. Starcastle Reloaded. Get it on Google Play. 
Yeah, it's awful. It's also uh, not in the Android store anymore. It's only a few years old. However, but, you can get it off of some APK sites, though. Uh, you have to put your Android phone into developer mode and download the APK and run it. I will not be responsible if you do anything to screw up your phone like that, but uh, I have downloaded some APKs like that. But in the meantime, there's also Star Fortress on iOS. I don't know if it's on the Android, but I just downloaded it while we were talking, actually. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, I'm sorry. That is not the Star Castle Arcade game. That is a game. This is an app for uh, to make uh, reservations for an arcade called Star Castle. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Um, let me see here. But yeah, I found Star Fortress, which is a very good clone. The only problem is uh, the on-screen controls are kind of a biatch. And what's really cool is that when you start the game, you have like a level select screen, and it looks just like the uh, select screen at the beginning of Space Duel. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, I'm playing it right now. It does look pretty good. It's it's almost... You know what? It looks as if what Star Castle would have looked like if Atari had done it. Okay. Like, say, if it were Tempest... Well, well you know I destroyed a Star Fortress. Huh, that was quick. <laughs> Oops. I didn't mean for that to happen. Yeah, usually I'm dead by now. I think I've actually only ever successfully destroyed the uh, the cannon one time. But yeah, this is a very good point. But, but yeah, it's... it's uh, it seems like it's done in the style of, say, Tempest in Space Duel. Okay. So uh, I, I just might have to link that in the show notes. And uh, I, I downloaded that. It's not free, mm-hmm. but I was actually gifted a Apple iTunes gift card from one of our listeners a while back ago. Oh, and nice. so I still had a balance. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, very kind. Um, so, Sean, uh, what, so, do you, what do you have to say about StarCast? It's a fun game. I mean, wh- uh, where, where and when did you first play it, by the way? Well, I got an interesting story about that. Oh, do tell. Actually, since yours is interesting, let me tell mine first. Okay. I played this only at Galloping Ghost. Oh, really? I never, I never saw it before, and that's where they had it. And I was like, oh, that's the game Yars Revenge is based on. And I played it, had a lot of fun, and it absolutely sucked at it. Oh, well, now, I mean, I think interesting story. This is one of the most difficult games that's ever been released in the arcade. And now that I think about it, that seems to be kind of a thing with uh, Cinematronics games, actually. Yeah. Although I think this is probably the hardest of all the Cinematronics games. I would agree with that. But um, once upon a time in the 80s, I picked up a book, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was by Ken Houston. It was about beating beating the like the top arcade games. And uh, Ken Houston was a professional blackjack player who turned his uh, attention to Pac-Man and was one of the first uh, world record holders in Pac-Man, if I recall correctly. Well, anyway, you know, they had games like Scramble and Defender and, you know, Pac-Man and uh, Galaxian and all those in the book. They also had Star Castle. Well, so I'm reading the book, you know, and think nothing of it. Yeah. Well, later that year, let's see, 1982. Me and my dad and my... Wait, 1982? That can't be right. Because I thought my notes said... This was released in 83, or am I? No, the oh, Vectrex no, released game 19, was... 1980. Okay. Yeah, the Vectrex version was 1983. Oh, the Vectrex, yeah, that's right. So, 1982. Me and my dad and my brother decide that we're going to go on a little vacation, let mom and my sister stay home. And uh, we decided to go to Tennessee because the World's Fair was there, and you know Knoxville, Tennessee, we went to the World's Fair. I've been to two World's Fairs. Um, <laughs> and um, Knoxville, Tennessee is kind of like in the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. 
Well, we camped one night on the western side of the park, and then we camped for a few nights on the eastern side of the park at a place called Deep Creek, where you could rent um, tubes and go tubing down the creek. And can't do that now. I actually looked into this recently. Uh, the park service has banned it because I guess some people drowned or whatever in there. So safety first. Well, one day we were walking from our campsite to a little uh, camp store, which was just literally outside the park border. I mean, there was the border and the store was right at the border. So we go in there, pick up a few supplies, and they have an arcade game in there. And lo and behold, it's Star Castle. Huh. And I had a quarter and I played it and I remember not lasting long at all. Maybe 30 seconds if I'm lucky. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, I played Star Castle just outside the border of Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Ooh, ooh, just like Marble Madness. I played that just outside the uh, the border of Glacier National Park. Hmm. Oh, that would have been a great theme. Yeah. Oh, well. I'm, I'm looking right now. It doesn't look like, it looks like Deep Creek tubing is still a thing. Not according to the National Park Service site. The webpage here has it listed, and it says tubing season Memorial Day weekend through Labor Day weekend, $6. And I'm not able to find any links that says, and 2019 season, April 4th through October 27th. Is that the National Park site, or is that another site? That's the Deer Creek Camping. Okay. Creep. So that's Deep Creek. Just out- Deep, Deep Creek Camping. Cam. Okay. That's just outside the National Park. Ah, uh, there okay. is a national park campground called Deep Creek just in just ah. inside the park. It is illegal in the park boundaries, but outside the park boundaries, there's no law restricting it. Ah, so yeah. Although back then, again, you could go tubing at Deep Creek, actually inside the park. Hmm. Some people ruining it for the rest of us. Yeah, what happens? So this is a, this is a really fun game. Um, it's given a splash of color by a you know by an overlay on the on the black and white screen, but yeah. um, it, it's a fun game. But I mean, it is so insanely difficult. I cannot. I'm no good at this game. Yeah, I like it, but it, it's so difficult that I'd never go back to it. Really, and um, really, yeah. I mean, I don't hate the game, but it's just I don't know, it's just too difficult for me. But then again, that's just about everything. So, so out of five continues. I. <sighs> I have to rate it a three. Hmm. Again, okay. I don't hate it, but I just don't play because it's just way too difficult. You know, it's just one of those things. Hmm. Now, if you can deal with the difficulty, you're, you well, with any of our reviews, your mileage may vary. But um, yeah, I'm just looking at the list here. I haven't given a game. I've only given one game a rating of a five. Wow, in a real long time. Oh, wait a minute. No, I'm only looking one column. Never mind. Scratch what I said. All right. Because you and I both gave New Rayleigh X5. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) But, um, oh, well. So, yeah, I got to give it I'm going to give it four out of five. giving it a four. Because I can so go back to this game and play it again. Because it's just so well done. Mm -hmm. And And there's there's something about Cinematronics. They make their games make as if they still exist. They made their games such that they're primitive, but they kind of grab you and hook you in. Uh Uh-huh. It's one of those games where you keep coming back and saying, I think I could do better this time. I think I can do better this time. Armor Attack is like that. Rip Off is like that. And sure as heck, so is Star Castle. Well, there you go. There I go. So a four and a three. So Four and a three. Yep. Well, I think with that, we should probably move on to uh, another game. What do you think? Oh, another game? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make the decision as to what game we're going to talk about then. Uh, this game is going to be 
Super Breakout. Super Breakout. Aha, uh-huh, Super Breakout. Aha. Uh-huh. And Super Breakout was released by Atari in September of 1978 as a sequel to, of course, the 1976 game Breakout. (gasps) And depending on which source out there you wish to believe, Super Breakout was designed by either Ed Rotberg or Ed Log. Mm -hmm. Different sources say different things, but whichever Ed it was, apparently he had designed this game after he heard that Nolan Bushnell wanted the original Breakout to be updated. And uh, those of you who don't know what Breakout is, welcome to the world. But the original Breakout, you had eight rows of 14 bricks. You controlled a paddle at the bottom of the screen, and the paddle would hit the ball up to the wall, and your job was to hit the ball into the bricks, destroy all the bricks, do it twice, you win the game. There. There you go. So Super Breakout, however, has a few differences. First of all, Super Breakout was programmed on a 6502 processor. The original Breakout was programmed with discrete logic, which means that basically a bunch of chips were soldered together in a certain order. It wasn't based on a CPU, which is why you will not find a real emulation of that game in software. Mm -hmm. And let me see what else. Oh, yeah. And what makes Super Breakout especially different from Breakout is that Super Breakout had three different variations to pick from. And I'll talk about those right now. There's a uh, double Breakout. By the way, each of these three variations is trademarked. And the advertising flyer, every single one of those variations has a trademark next to it. So I, th- I just found that interesting. But there's Double Breakout, and Double Breakout is like regular Breakout, except that you have eight rows of 13 bricks instead of 14 bricks. And um, the player, instead of having one paddle, has two paddles, one on top of the other. There is not one ball in play, but there is also another one in play, and your turn is over when you lose both of them. And um, Double Breakout, you have a maximum of two rounds. Once you clear two boards, that's it. The game's over. Maximum score 2,694. And uh, the way the scoring works on Double Breakout is basically, it depends on how many of these objects that you're batting around at one time. In the first four rows, the bricks are worth either seven points or five points if you're playing with only one ball, but if you're playing with two, then the point value doubles. And in the lower rows, the bricks are worth three points and one point. So the lower the row, the fewer the points the bricks are worth. And of course, the point values double if there are still two objects in play. So there you go. And let's see, there's also cavity breakout. Cavity breakout, you also have eight rows of bricks, but the difference is that in the top half of the brick wall, Mm -hmm. there are two spots on either side. There are about three bricks in from the border. There are groups of four arranged in a quadrant, bricks that are missing. And in the place of those bricks is a ball. Mm -hmm. And the ball just kind of bounces around. There are two of those in Cavity Breakout. You have just a single paddle as if it were regular breakout. But when you break the bricks around those cavities, the ball in the cavity will fall down into play. So you can have up to three of those in play at once. And uh, there's a maximum of three rounds in Cavity Breakout. And the rounds don't progress unless you have only one ball in play. 
So if you have three in play, you have to lose two of them before the round progresses to the next screen. The maximum score in Cavity Breakout is 3,384, and uh, the scoring is the same as it is in Double Breakout, with the exception that if you have, say, not just one ball in play, but three, then the point values triple. So there you have that. And finally, there is Progressive Breakout. The deal with Progressive Breakout, if in case you've never seen it, there are two groups of bricks. There's uh, two groups of 4 by 13 rows of bricks. And what makes it progressive, I hear everybody ask. Oh, I'm glad you asked. What makes it progressive? That means that the wall kind of progresses down as you play. When the ball hits the paddle eight times, suddenly all the bricks drop down one row. And then a couple of more times after you hit the ball eight times, the rows of bricks drop a row, etc. Then it goes every fourth drop a few times, then every three, and then every two for a while. And eventually, any time the ball hits your paddle, the rows fall down. New rows regenerate at the top of the screen every four drops or so. Eventually, the bricks will stop generating and stop falling down towards you. And at that point, the game is going to end once you clear the board or until you lose all your turns. So those are that's what makes Super Breakout Super. You get three breakout variations. None of them is the original breakout either. So hmm. there you go. And uh, it's a one or two player game. You can play with a friend or enemy or frenemy or coworker or family member. And um, the control panel, there is a paddle. Well, the instructions call it a knob. That's in the middle of the control panel. Uh, There is a serve button on the left. And the serve button is a pretty standard conic-shaped Atari button, kind of like the uh, start button on Asteroids or Centipede. It's kind of like those. And uh, the start buttons are in the front of the panel, not on top of the panel, kind of like they are on a Frogger machine. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, the sound effects, uh, I don't like the sound effects. It's just basically a buzz in the key of B flat in different octaves, depending on whether you hit a ball, you hit the paddle, you hit the, uh, you lose a turn, whatever. I will say this, having played this version of Breakout. Yeah. The uh, the Atari 2600 version uh, is a better version than the arcade, just because of the sound. Just because of the sound. I say because of the sound and the playability. Well, there is that too, but uh, the sound is so much better on the twi- The sound on the 2600 version is even better than the 8-bit slash 5200 version too. Yeah, the 5200 8-bit version, though, that version is basically just the arcade version, really. Pretty much, yep. But yeah, they did much better on the 2600 version. And the thing is about the 2600 version, I say it's playable because the paddle is wider unless you set the difficulty switch to uh, A. Mm-hmm. And uh, those of you who never played the arcade Super Breakout, but you have played the Atari 2600 Super Breakout, flip the difficulty switch over to the left, and that's what the arcade version yes. is like. Oh, yes. And, uh, and of course, it goes without saying, possibly, that eventually uh, the ball speeds up periodically. I think there are three different speeds and if the ball reaches the very top of the screen, hits the wall at the very top, then your paddle will shrink down by about 50%, which makes it even uh, more challenging. And the thing that makes this game really hard in the arcade is that the paddle controller is not a typical paddle controller like on your Atari 2600, but it's not a smooth moving paddle. It actually has like stops on it. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. not very hard stops, but they're stops nonetheless. And that makes 
movement of your uh, paddle very difficult. And it's kind of like that on Circus, too, I think. By uh, X- Is it Exidy Do Circus? Yes, yes. Yeah, Arkanoid has that same thing, but not quite as pronounced. But yeah, it's not a very smooth paddle controller. Oh, and the other controller, how do you select from those three variations? There's another knob on the right side of the cabinet. Ah. And if your Super Breakout arcade machine is not working, or if you're far away from it and you play this in MAME, uh, there's some, I, I don't remember where... You have to go into the settings, actually. You have to hit the tab button and go into the settings to change the breakout variation you're going to play. But it's not terribly obvious. I don't remember off the top of my head what it is. But hey, so that's really Super Breakout in a large nutshell. Uh, I don't really know a heck of a lot of history behind it. Uh, One thing I do have to say about the arcade game itself is that the artwork on it isn't quite as interesting as it was in the original Breakout. Because in the original Breakout cabinet, you had kind of like a cartoony looking drawing of prisoners trying to escape from, uh, I guess, prison. Yeah, I remember that. But on Super Breakout, you just have brick walls. You don't actually have any prisoners or anything, so... Why did they drop the ball on that? Oh, I so shouldn't have said that. That was dumb. Uh, why did they drop the ball on that? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I just didn't do enough research on this, but I didn't really find any fascinating facts about Super Breakout itself. The original Breakout, sure, but we might want to save that for another episode. Because that has a fascinating story. You know, the original Breakout arcade game, as you're saying, had the like the the criminals breaking out from a jail or whatever the atari 2600 version of super breakout had a kind of a cool one where with astronauts battling battling the 2600 absolutely no sense but it was awesome as hell oh yeah yeah they kind of turned it into a space theme even though it's not apparent in the actual game Mm -hmm. but another oh another way that the atari 2600 version is better is that the game does not end after a limited number of rounds the arcade version does Right, which is like what the original breakout was. Yeah, the original breakout yes. ends at two rounds. Whereas the, the progressive just keeps going. You keep going wah, 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 wah after a while. But even progressive breakout comes to an end in the arcade. It, it doesn't does? come to an end on the 2600 until you uh, lose a life. You lose all your lives. Oh, that's another thing. The I th- Correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't the Atari 2600 version default to five turns or is it still three? I want to think it's five. Okay. Because the arcade defaults at three, and you can uh, adjust the dip switch settings in the arcade version to uh, give you bonus points. There are different options for different bonus points for each individual game, but the default is you don't get an extra turn at all. But you can change that in dip switch settings. But yeah, that's interesting. That's the default. Hmm. I love the uh, the story here in the Atari Twenty Six Hundred manual for Super Breakout. We haven't actually had a dramatic reading in a while. Uh, shall we do one? Uh, you might as well. Now's as good a time as any. <clears throat> Imagine you're in a... You know what? This would be better in a, uh, Rod Serling style. <clears throat> Imagine you're in a one-man space shuttle traveling through the heavens at the speed of light. You and your tiny ship are totally engulfed in darkness except for the luminous luminance of an occasional passing star. Suddenly, without warning, there's a brilliant flash straight ahead. You check the radar screen. Nothing. Pretty soon there's another flash and another. Next thing you know, the flashes have turned into one gigantic force field of some kind, and it's dead ahead. You check the radar screen again. Still nothing. The 
colors in this mysterious force field are so bright they're almost blinding, and they seem to be in layers. But the strangest thing is that nothing shows up on the radar screen. What could that mean? Is it possible to travel through this mysterious force field, or will you crash and be destroyed? And what about the layers? If you make it through one, can you make it through the next, and the next? It's decision time, and there are only a few seconds to think about it. Turn back or blast ahead and try to make it through the layers of the brightly colored force field. It's up to you in the Twilight Zone. Does it actually say that? Not the Twilight Zone part. Oh, okay. But it was better in a Rod Serling voice. Hmm. I'd like to hear that in a Rod Serling voice someday. Yeah, well, you just did. Yeah, it was a, that was a thinly veiled insult. I'm offended. Thinly veiled, huh? Yeah, wasn't veiled at all, but it was an insult. I am looking here in the instructions to find out about the... Uh... Ooh, there are eight exciting new game sounds programmed in the Super Breakout. Oh, by the way, Super Breakout was ported to the Atari 2600, in case you didn't know. Oh, really? Uh, there are other ports to it, but the thing is, I think they're all just in those uh, Atari's Greatest Hits kind of uh, packages. Five turns on... There is regular breakout and super breakout on the 2600. You got five turns. I'm assuming doubles got five, but I can't really... Don't really see it here. Um, and that looks like progressive is five also. It's interesting on the 2600 version is that uh, the progressive is the only variation that is uh, one player only. Is it one player? Oh, yeah, it is only one player. Huh. And also, uh, the 2600 version, of course, comes with standard breakout, but the difference is it doesn't end after two rounds. Atari 2600's version of breakout does end after two rounds. So, yeah. Uh, Jimmy G, how about, uh, have you ever actually played the arcade Super Breakout? And if so, where? Tell me about that experience. I don't know if I've played it, but... Oh, really? I have seen it. I'm, oh. I'm trying to remember exactly where it was. It was in the Chicago area. And I want to think it was at a convention center, but I don't think it was McCormick Place downtown. I think it was something in the area around O'Hare. I know I've seen it, but I just, I just, I can't, I can't place it. I can't place where I saw it. And that was the only time I've ever seen it in the arcade, save, uh, save modern times. I think they have this at uh, Galloping Ghost. Um, I don't think they have it at Galloping Ghost. Well, let's find out. Yes, let's. And they have it at... I think they have it in McHenry's, or no, uh, in uh, McLean. I hate our Orcade's search feature. Yeah, the only place in this state they have it is Arcadia, America's Playable Arcade Museum in McLean. Okay, that's where I've seen it. Yeah, because well, I've, 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 I've been down Czech, there. There's one in uh, Czech Republic. Uh, let's see, the Czech, McLean, Illinois, Laconia, New Hampshire. Gee. Uh, Astoria, New York, Las Vegas. They have it at the Pinball Hall of Fame, and they have it. I don't at remember the seeing it Bowl. there. It must not have been out on the floor when I was there. Huh. I'm surprised they don't have this at the Ghost. This seems like it would be. Uh, but then again, who knows how many of these are out there? They don't have a lot of '70s stuff there. That's right. They don't really. Yeah. They don't even have one of my favorite '70s games, uh, Atari's Football. Oh yeah, that's a great game. I want to talk. About Underground that. Retrocade has it. Oh God, yes. Well, then again, I, I can't imagine Doc would ever get that. At least not unless he's yeah, able to get he would a bigger have to space. Have he, he would have to probably put that maybe in the pinball hall because that game needs room. It needs a lot of room, yeah. And it and, is, uh, let's be honest. See that last location, that last one there? Uh, I just got off the uh, page. Uh, Silver Ball Pinball Arcade in, in Asbury Park, Park New, New Jersey. Jersey. Yes. That is where I played the arcade version. Huh. And what did and you think of it? I, I 
it annoyed me. It did. It annoyed me partly because of that paddle issue. Mm-hmm. Partly because, well, it, it's not really. I can't really fault it for being difficult because the paddle is narrow because that's how it originally was. It was the home version that makes the paddle wider. Mm-hmm. So I can't fault the arcade version of it. But the other thing that kind of th- threw me off was that I think there was a problem with the machine, at least at the time, because there was one variation I couldn't play for whatever reason. There must have been some kind of synchronization problem with the uh, game select knob. Yeah. Because I was only able to get two of the games, no matter which way I had the knob. Mm-hmm. There was one of them I couldn't play, and I don't remember which one it was. I think it was... Uh, I think it was progressive that I couldn't play. I might be wrong. I don't know. And uh, you can thank me for not making a uh, joke about flow in the progressive TV commercials. It's too late because just mentioning that. And you can thank me for not making a soup reference. Oh, it's progresso. That's why. That's right. I did make a uh, political joke, though. (sighs) No. I did already. You missed it. But uh, so. Sean. Hey. Yes. So what do you think of the game? What do I think? (sighs) I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. No? I'm not a fan because, again, because, well, it's not an easy game to play because, you know, the control, again, it's not an easy rotator control to use. Mm -hmm. And the sound is kind of annoying, which just might be a sign of the times. But then again, Asteroids was only the following year, and they were using a freaking pokey chip in that. Right. So I don't know how much, how far away was better sound. I don't know. Well, Sega had some games around the time that had much better sound than this instead of just buzzes and blurps. Just looking, thinking of Sega, I'm just looking at my at the list here of games we've talked about. We have not talked about any Sega Vector games yet. Hmm. We what, have to correct what that. What Sega Vector games were there? Uh, task, there was Tech Scan, Space Fury. Tech Scan Fury. was Vector? Yeah, Tech Scan was Vector. Huh. Tech Scan, uh, Space Fury. Uh, oh, no, we have Star Trek. We have Star Trek. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I forgot yeah. about that one. Yeah, I had the House Hyatt Underground Retrocade on that for a short time. Cool. I didn't even know it, but I did. And uh, let's see, what what else do I have to say about the game? The game, And also, not that it really affects me that much because I suck at the arcade Super Breakout, but I don't like that it limits your playing time. Yeah, I think that's just a product. They just, again, product of its time. They just wanted people to keep popping quarters in, so... Might be, might you know, be. They didn't want people monopolizing the machine, I guess. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Maybe there was a technical limitation, but it sure seems like it's something that they just want people to keep playing. They just, I, that, yeah, I'm, I'm going more for that because they were using a CPU at this time. They could have figured it out. That's true. That's true. The original was discrete logic, which definitely had some limitations. So, what do you rate the game? I rate it. Oh man. You know what? Let me think about that for a minute. Um, I'll, give let, my I'll think about that while I'm going through some high scores here. Oh, that's now, right. We haven't done the high scores yet. For the previous game, I first referenced Orcade.com. This time we're going to reference Twin Galaxies. Twin Galaxies tracks each variation separately, as it should. Mm-hmm. The uh, Twin Galaxies record for double breakout is held by Michael Salpedro, and his high score on that is 2,496. And a referee verified that on January 28th, 2006. The progressive record at Twin Galaxies is held by Randy Lawton. And his score is 2,818. And that was verified November 3rd, 2009, also by a referee. And the cavity breakout variation, Michael Salpedro again, 2,081. And that was verified 
November 17th, 2007, via referee. Now, one thing, though, Orcade.com has Jimmy Linderman as their highest score with a score of 2,396 performed apparently at his home mm-hmm. on September 17th, 2011. Uh, only problem is it doesn't say which variation it was. They don't track mm-hmm. it like that. They just have one track. Now, that was so, – they're, they're, three, they're really three separate different games. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder if there's a way to, yeah, I'm going to have to see if I can report that and say, Hey, uh, can we get some more tracks on here? <laughs> but Hey, what do I know? I, I, then again, I know they're going through a transition at that site now, cause they're still trying to figure out how to, how to redo the site now that doc owns it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, how would I rate to get, you know, all right, here's how I'm going to rate it. Because I've been to Silver Ball twice since I first played Super Breakout. And you played the, the Silver Ball. Hyde, Hyde, please cut that out. Oh, don't. Edit it out. My delivery was excellent We've used on it that. before. My Every time we mention that arcade, that, that reference is made. <laughs> so, Hyde, it's, it's gone. It's gone. Okay? Thanks. That's sad. So, uh, yeah, and the two times I've been there since, mm-hmm. I didn't have the slightest interest in playing super breakout so yeah oh and by the way if you do go to silver ball which i do recommend by the way if you're Uh, in uh new jersey at the uh, jersey shore super breakout isn't with the rest of the video games it's actually at least the couple of times i saw it it was in the uh northwest corner i'm actually pointing to the right now as if people listening are going to see me point it's in the northwest corner it's among the uh, pinball machines Hmm. interesting yeah, if you're if you're looking for video games at uh, Silver Ball, don't just look in that one cluster of video games and walk around the whole place because there are a few scattered. Didn't you say this this arcade had uh, Pong there too? They a have a Pong situation? cabinet, but instead of the actual Pong game, they have the Atari Home Pong in it. Ah, uh, that's right, that's right. So it's like rigged or something. One of the giveaways is that it's in color, which Pong is not, and you know what? Neither is Super Breakout, really. But did I did I give my rating yet on uh, Super Breakout? Uh, two out of five because I just I just don't go by it. Okay, here's my thing with this game. It's yeah. again, it's not bad, but the problem is, I'm almost certain that I played the Atari Twenty Six Hundred Super Breakout before I played the arcade Super Breakout. Oh, I played it like thirty years before I played the arcade and Super the Breakout. Atari Twenty Six Hundred Super Breakout, and even the Fifty Two Hundred and Eight Bit versions are much better than the arcade version, which is which is really weird given that uh, the 2600 was still not really technically a better machine than that arcade game. But the, the 2600 Super Breakout basically took the arcade Super Breakout and improved on everything. Uh, number yep. of lives, the size of the paddle. Especially the sound. Oh, the sound indeed. And the 2600 Super Breakout is a much more satisfying experience. If we were rating yeah. home video games, that would be an easy five for me. Oh, yeah. At least a four for me. But, but the arcade, arcade version, Super Breakout? It's a two it's for a, me. It's a two for me also. I won't, I'd probably give... I I know I'm kind of jumping the gun in case we ever talk about the original Breakout, but I would give that a one. Yeah, but I, w- the thing I would is, tend, Super Breakout is definitely better. I would uh, tend to agree pr- with that. Am I, trying, am I maybe just thinking out of... Uh, Maybe because I'm thinking in the wrong era because I didn't really start playing arcade video games till the 80s and this is a 70s game. Maybe, maybe. But the fact is, I can't be bothered to play it. Yeah, I, you know what? 
I'm going to lower my score to a one. Oh. Because I'm in the same boat. I can't be bothered to play the arcade Super Breakout. I think there's the 2600 version is so much better, and there's such a wide gap between the quality of the two versions that I have to lower Super Breakout. Huh. Not the, the arcade one. So, yeah, I'm lowering it to a one. Wow. I, I, if I see this, I might play it once out of curiosity, but that's it. I wouldn't play it again. Yeah. Unless yeah. I got really good at it. And there's good at it, and there's no chance of that happening. One other thing I don't think you mentioned that the Super Breakout, at least any home version of Super Breakout has, and this is a sign of the times. It's nothing they, that could have necessarily easily been done by Atari at the time, but the home versions are in full color. Mm-hmm. The arcade version is not. It's, oh. it's monochrome, but with an overlay taped to the screen. Gee, that sounds like another game that we've talked about recently. Yeah, it, yeah, it does, doesn't it? And the what? thing about that is, what's what I find interesting, and you never really think about this unless you've played the arcade Super Breakout, but the Atari 2600 Super Breakout, I don't know if the other versions do this, but the 2600 Super Breakout on the progressive version of the game, mm-hmm. as the bricks fall down, the rows themselves don't change color. The bricks do, but as they get to the lower row, they take on the same color. Like, let's say, yeah. I don't know, one of the rows is supposed to be pink, but as it keeps dropping into the lower zone, it turns green, mm-hmm. where all the green bricks would have been. So it kind of simulates the overlay feel mm-hmm. electronically. I think that's really cool. It is. So, as you were saying, though, the color was provided by a label? It was col- It was provided by a label, essentially. Wow. It was hmm. liter- it's literally, like, plastic taped to the screen. Interesting. It almost sounds like, uh, what was that game we talked about? It was a few, it was uh, recent. It was, um, oh, what was it? It was, um, 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 Tinkle um, Pit? Um, Star Castle. Star Castle? It's the huh. same, it's the same way. Wow. That almost sounds like a theme, doesn't it? It just might. Oh, you know what? I'm looking at our spreadsheet here. Yeah, that is indeed the theme. Games in oh. which the color is provided by labels. Huh. Wow. Dang, you think I would remember that? You think so? Yeah, you would. Well, I guess with that, we should probably maybe, I don't know, thank some people. Yeah. Hey, some people. Thank you. Sweet. But that's where you're wrong, kiddo. What? We need to thank other people. Oh, all right. All right. Well, yeah, why don't we do that? So uh, thank you to uh, Richard Grounds, Christian Williams, Underground Retrocade, Frank O. Dragon, Atari Bytes, New Balance Stores, Phoenix, Michael D'Angelo, Kyle Etter, PJ Steele, Kurt Musgrave, Art Guglielmo, Nate Lockhart, Greg Polander, Jonas Rulo, Rory Coleman, Tim Foley, Keith Sheehan, Steve Steiner, Richard Valdez, and D. Alex. Thank you all for your Thank Patreon you, support. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, we've we've really been feeling bad about how we, we just don't do enough for our Patreon supporters we're trying to think of stuff uh we figured uh something that we're doing now at the very least what usually happens is hyde will edit our podcast down drop in the sound effects and music as necessary and all that and then jimmy g and i take turns li- well i don't see i don't know if take turns we both listen to it and assuming it meets our approval then you know we basically fluff it up prep it for actual release and then we run it through the WordPress feed, and then it gets out to the public. Uh, What we're going to do, what we're doing now is for all of our Patreon sponsors, once we get the final product from Hyde and before we process it any further, we're going to release it for our Patreon sponsors. And if there's any censorship necessary, 
Patreon sponsors will have the option of either censored or uncensored. So that's the very least we could do. We'll try to do more things in in the future. And, but, uh, you know, if you're a, a patron and you want to suggest a couple of games for us to look at that we haven't looked at yet, by all means, yeah. uh, let us know what you want to want to hear us talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can hear our booth announcer during the closing credits tell you how to do that. Yep. So. And uh, speaking of which, uh, oh, we've uh, actually got a couple more games suggested by a listener. Oh, really? Really? Uh, do tell. And this is uh, for the next episode. We're going to be talking about Dragon Spirit and Willow. Dragon Spirit and, and Willow. That was, Ooh, those were suggested by patron Greg Polander. Polander, 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 Soul Blazer. That guy from Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah, the Rhode Island guy. There we go. And I'm actually a little familiar with one of the games, and I am actually not familiar at all with Willow. So this is going to be interesting. I'm not familiar at all with either of them. Only reason I'm not familiar familiar with either of them. Only reason I'm familiar with Dragon Spirit, first of all, they do have it at Galloping Ghost. Uh, but mostly, as I kept seeing advertisements for it for the Atari ST in you in uh, the UK magazines back when I was uh, had my Atari ST. Oh, so yeah, that's how, I'm, so, uh, how I know. What's about. the theme? Well, we're not telling you partly because we, we don't, don't know, know yet. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to be so, a, actually a. That's actually going to. Ooh, that would actually be a good theme in and of itself. Uh, what's the theme? We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no so freaking anyway. clue. So yeah, that'll be for episode ninety-eight, which will be coming out uh, in the. Sometime. Sometime soon. Yeah. And then we got episode 99. We're looking at a couple of games. And then we got uh, episode 100 coming up just around the corner. Yeah. And uh, we've already got an idea what we're going to do for episode 100. We've talked about it before. And uh, we're going to talk to some special guests about it again. We haven't talked to them yet. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, I'm... Oh, I I just realized that I, I... Oh yeah, I, I I know a good I, I know how I'm gonna sign off this night so this this episode okay. so yeah. well, why don't you do that okay well anyway uh, this uh, Pie Factory podcast from Pie Factory headquarters North uh, this is Sean saying hot water heater and this is Jim saying what he said bye this episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde Saint Pierre opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash PieFactoryPodcast. Whitey's gotta pay, and that payment is baby hands.